Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Infinite IoT. I'm your host, Matt Ackley, and today my guest is Glenn Allmendinger. Glenn's the president and co-founder of Harbor Research. Glenn has participated in pioneering research and consulting work in almost every industry and business. I'm very excited to have Glenn with us on the show today. So, ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Allmendinger. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be with you. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm really excited to have you here today. You guys are so involved in in so many different uh, ways as far as the manufacturing industry goes and, and your influence. So I really would love to start our conversation off by asking you as the founder, uh, how Harbor Research is impacting the manufacturing industry, uh, you know, day to day. Fair. Uh, maybe just a couple points about history. Um, uh, I started the firm in, in the middle 1980s. I guess I can carbon date myself. Yeah, um, um, but um, when you look back uh, over technology's history, that was roughly the point where general purpose computing and networks started invading mission critical spaces like manufacturing and the utility industry and, and, uh, and real world, real time controllers and devices and sensors and things started getting put on the networks. And, you know, while a lot of people today call that the Internet of Things, um, people that come from a history in industrial mission critical manufacturing tend to look at this as something that's been going on for the last, you know, 40, 50 years on its own. And um, and the uh, IoT phenomena was just something that was uh, fed into that that stream of uh, evolution in uh, recent years. So it, it, it but it does set up a different context because I. We call it smart systems these days just to try and avoid the acronym soup um, story. <laughs> but, um, you know, what's really happened was uh, networks first. Um, networks allowed people to collect data. Data started to impact the way manufacturers organized and thought about how to run their operations. And that's been quite a quite an evolution in itself. And, you know, with uh, uh, terms like Industry 4.0 and so forth in the last uh, 10 years, you know, software, like it's eating everything in the world today, it's it's certainly eating the manufacturing environment world in, in many ways. And now with 5G and other higher performance networking capabilities and, and the ability to, you know, collect lots more data, a lot more real time and do a lot of things, these technologies are, are obviously having enormous impacts on the productivity of manufacturing organizations and, and really any kind of industrial B2B mission critical kind of business, doesn't matter whether it's a port or an airport or a factory or electric utility. And um, our role in that is we've always worked for both uh, and, and really acted as kind of an intermediary and interpreter between the uh, technology supply side, the, the innovators all the way back to the silicon and the core technologies and then all the way to um you know, their applied use in these kinds of environments. And we have worked for users and adopters of those technologies and trying to help them think ahead of the curve about how these things can change and, you know, obviously disrupt in some sense, but creatively get applied in ways that, that, that allow them to be more efficient and raise their service levels, serve their customers better and, and do so for, for less, uh, less money uh, and less uh, headaches. <laughs> Absolutely. We all like less headaches. So uh, I'm sure they're very happy uh, when you come back with those solutions. I want to I want to kind of gear this this next uh, conversation piece to the back into the, the manufacturing side uh, of, of the sure. business and really just talk about legacy systems. I mean, we have all these new technologies. You, you know, you mentioned that they've been around for years and, and under different names and and we have this new 5G 
buzzword that's everywhere that everybody hears, but you have legacy systems that also have to interact. So talk me through the impact of 5G integration on some of these these legacy systems. Right. Well, you know, uh, you don't have to tell anybody. Manufacturing plants cost a lot of money, and, and and people sweat a lot of bullets to install. So people have been installing networks and and newer newer technologies in these plants for for decades. And so, um, you know, there is. Um, I mean, I used to joke. I used to call it industrial inertia. You know, the, there's a lot of risk aversion in that world to uh, using new technologies. And ironically, I think you know, as five G has emerged, um, you know, probably the. Uh, um, the craziest technology, I think, for manufacturers to get their heads around over the last 10 years is wireless. Because that, that, you know, when machines uh, can cut person's arms off or blow up, <laughs> do things like that, people uh, get pretty sensitive to uh, the deterministic nature of those networks and how they have to perform. But um, if you look at all those legacy systems, people aren't going to rip that stuff all out. They're going to evolve it over time. But the value of 5G in this story, probably more than anything else, is almost like a, um, think of it like throwing a blanket over a plant that can collect data from all of those legacy systems. And if you understand the evolution of networking and computing and manufacturing in general, you kind of have this IT, OT story, operational technologies versus uh, IT. And and in many respects, those worlds have been a gulf historically, but they can now come together. And so in many ways, 5G is kind of a catalyst and a, um, a weaver of the value of, of the integration of all those systems and, and more tightly coupling everything I use to run my business in the IT and the uh, you know headquarter world, all the way down to the things that run the controllers and the robots and machines in the plant. And, and so, you know, the uh, historic reaction to wireless is I wouldn't put that in my plant because because I, I I don't know it'll work. But but if one of the uh, sort of macro use cases for this in the initial um, uh, context and time is really just a giant data collection overlay, um, you do still have a lot of siloed systems. They're not fully integrated. There's lots of different applications running in plants that track things that connect the supply chains that go down and collect data off machines, but those things are not perfectly interwoven and integrated together. And so in many respects, 5G is a, um, a, a you know, by, by comparison to history, a much cheaper, easier way to go aggregate data from lots of siloed and lots of disparate sources within these plants and allow people to go do lots of analysis on things that can impact, the, again, their efficiency and productivity and safety. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's another piece to that, too, right? The privatized network. We're, yeah. we're talking about different bands and, and utilizing all these these newer techniques to become more efficient. And so then you deal with, you know, it, it comes down to how, how are we being efficient and how are we being cost effective uh, by employing the, the private networks through the 5G uh, capability. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, private networks, what, what, are, what are their overall impact within the manufacturing industry? industry? Well, um, I mean, I think as most listeners would know, I mean, the, the classic mobile carrier model was, you know, whatever, AT&T and Verizon these days, if you're here in the U.S., <laughs> it's where they, uh, whoever you sign up for, you're, you're kind of signing up for a monolithic service. Uh, they control everything. Um, you know, they dictate all the rules. And, you know, private networks are really the disaggregation of that model and, and the ability to go organize uh, with these new distributed, like 
microcell technologies, you know, the ability to distribute and deploy a network in a specific location, you know, like a factory or a port or, or similar, um, allows people to apply, you know, as I was saying earlier, really like a large data collection collaboration and, and, and you know, things that can kind of manage the flow of all of the elements in those systems um, for a given plant. And, um, and so I'm not really relying on the carrier anymore. I, I, I can get a third party uh, independent contractor to kind of organize that network for me, even manage it for me. And I can all of a sudden do a lot of things that I couldn't do with that carrier before. And there are a lot of technical underpinnings in the uh, 5G story that relate to industrial emission critical environments in terms of its intended, I'll have to say, forecasted <laughs> performance. We're still waiting a little bit on the edge of our seats for all of that to unfold. But as it does, and it will, um, that that value, I think, will be enormous uh, uh, accelerator of um, efficiencies in these kinds of plants. And the fact that I can um, manage my own network and I can control my destiny and I can organize how it's technically deployed from a security standpoint, from a performance standpoint, you know, from an application and usage standpoint and tailor that network to my my operation. That That's an extraordinarily valuable thing. And it allows people to then begin that, even to accelerate that evolution of these installed legacy systems and begin to do things under that overlay that the overlay can help be a catalyst for. You know, uh, an, another piece which which I'd love for you to enlighten me and the audience to is is the neutral host model. So that, that this is something that that I am newly acclimated to, uh, really in preparation for our conversation. To be quite honest, so uh, explain that uh, that neutral host model a bit and, and where that all fits into this puzzle. Well, okay. Um, Probably the simplest example, um, so whether it's a, a factory, a plant, or a building, right, would be uh, in-building or in-facility fixed wireless, right? Um, and so, you know, like, when you go to the airport and, you know, everybody's um, cell signals work well, whether you're on, you know, uh, a, a subscription with AT&T, Verizon, uh, T-Mobile, the man in the moon, all of those <laughs> will work to a certain performance level because the people who run that airport want to make sure that you're happy there and spend money and and uh, your uh, your journey as the uh, customer is a good thing. And in that context, the term I've always used for this um, uh, neutral model is orchestrator. I need somebody to organize how all of that will occur such that I can have relationships with multiple carriers um, outside of the facility I'm doing this in and organize that with a third party that's still really largely contracted to me and, and is meeting the goals that I want to drive in that and is orchestrating essentially what most people these days will call hybrid networks. So it, it's a way of organizing any like pre-existing installed base kind of uh, equipment or otherwise maintenance. Uh, it can be any number of other uh, um, installed networks, but it's also orchestrating all the outbound and inbound uh, traffic around multiple carriers and and that can include satellites plus wireless carriers plus other things. But but all of that becomes part of that neutral host model. Um, uh, you know, it, it's like, um, I, I think the easiest way to think about this, that's a new business model. It's never really existed in that wireless world prior. And so in many respects, we're still kind of stumbling and bumping and bruising ourselves, figuring out um, what is the business model and what are the sub-business models and what are the economic relationships and value uh uh, generating relationships between and among all those poor parties. And, and you know, in the larger private network opportunity overall, 
you know, the ecosystem and all those relationships and how people make money, the underlying economic logic of that is still, you know, um, it's definitely progressing and evolving, but, but it's a, it's a story in the midstream in terms of how all this relates. And, but that role of orchestrator is a huge opportunity as these technologies get more stable, they get mature, the technologies like silicon that underlie the deployment of these things gets cheaper. Um, and these things become more accessible and easier to apply. Um, you know, there's a lot of value add that, that a network manager can bring, that neutral host can bring to that uh, kind of environment. And so I, I think this will be a, a huge growth opportunity um, over the several years to come. Yeah, it sounds like it. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, we're following the nimble nature of our conversation and touching on all the amazing things that you guys are doing at Harbor Research is also the concept of the, uh, you know, human connected devices versus the machine connected devices when we're talking about the manufacturing industry. Uh, conceptually, let's let's touch on that as well. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, well, I think most people get the human side <laughs> and, and, and uh, um, you know, it's pretty amazing what you can do with that computer in your hand. And and it's pretty remarkable. My joke at dinner is always when somebody asks a question, no one knows the answer. It's like, well, ask Mr. Science, <laughs> you know, because we can, we can get any information. You know, it's becoming an extension almost of our existing uh, beings, I think, in many yep. ways. Um, the machine world is an interesting world because um, it is real time. It's deterministic. It has, uh, you know, some very important constraints from um, the way it needs to perform. Um but if you imagine the uh, IT world is that human world in many respects, down to mobile devices, and you imagine this operational technology world is this thing that lies under that. Um, I, I used to, for many years, call this concept invisible business. You know, that that um, the minute I've got that much networking, I, I have that much intelligence distributed through all of these systems operating in these physical processes in something like a factory, so robotics, um, you know, automatic welding machines, automatic inspection stations, I mean, lots and lots of um, automation in the uh, the physical and mechanical processes that hasn't really been, um, you know, most of the uh, digital attention historically, if I look over my shoulders, make sure the thing doesn't blow up and kill people and that it, it operates and delivers its uh, service efficiently. We're now moving into this chapter where the ability to suck data out of all those systems and optimize things around the use of those systems is now becoming uh, quite a bit, uh, uh, you know, close in reality. And, and, and when I say invisible business, just think of the number of things that even when you're a human um, interacting with a smartphone, the number of algorithms that are doing things for you. I mean, just think about your trip to the airport. <laughs> think about the check-in process. Think about what's going on between and amongst financial service providers who are messaging into your system as you're doing certain events. Just take all of that kind of um, rich, intelligent and, and digital interactions and imagine that in a machine world where more and more of this becomes lights out um, and, and in many respects, um, extremely automated and wildly more flexible as we go forward in time. And so the ability for manufacturers to service customers with uh, very unique product designs, service levels, interaction levels, and support levels because of all that automation now. And, and another term I've used, just like invisible business, is information automation. It, it, it's all that data analytic and modeling layer that, that that's emerging on top of all these physical systems that allow people to optimize them. And, and in many ways, 
it's it is it is a lot like the time you walked down the street with your iPhone the first time and saw the dot move on the map <laughs> because that is the connection to the physical world and that's where you start imagining all the other things that that thing that you have in your hand could be connected to and those things can be informing each other um but at the end of the day if in the human world largely you get alerted and you make decisions in response to that alert <laughs> you know i have a message i'm going to respond absolutely in the uh, physical world the manufacturing world well, the term people have used for, for ages is exception reporting. I don't really want to be told everything that's going on. I can't keep up with it. There's so much data being collected now. I just want to know when something's out of out of whack, out of parameters. You know, it's not meeting a set point and, and something will blow up or something will stop or something will cease to work as it should. And um, and that's where, you know, jokingly but but that's where all these algorithms are coming into play now and they're kind of you know they're they're watching it like i would watch it but i can't watch that many data points at one time absolutely absolutely i mean it, it's just amazing to me how quickly uh things continue to mature and, and how diverse uh we're getting with data points and accessibility and what we do with all of that data and and how we monetize it and it's just it's just something that seems to continually be foot on gas all the yep. time right so yes. stay out in front you know get out in front stay out in front let's make sure that we're on the cutting edge as as a company and and let's make sure that that we can be on the forefront of of this part of business it's just all it's all just really an amazing amalgamation of different technologies that are driving us forward. And obviously, you guys are, are very entrenched in, in that process as far as getting people to see the light on that front. And so where's it going to go from here? I mean, with, man, with the manufacturing industry, we have all this crossroads of new technology where where do we go from from here? I mean, where are we going to see the most benefit? Uh, where do we strike pay dirt as we as we go along this path? Um, well, okay. So uh, if I take a, just a half step back and say, uh, um, all the computing that we've known, all the mobility that we've known with devices, um, everything we just talked about between human and and and, and connected machines. Um, simplify the story as it goes forward. Think about data, <laughs> think about workflows and processes, and, and really think about um, all of the uh, interactions that have to occur that those things enable. <laughs> and um, so we're beginning a chapter where, um, you know, I, it's really, um, my, my son always used to ask me this jokingly. He says, okay, dad, when everything, all this internet of things stuff all gets connected and I have perfect information, what are we all going to become couch potatoes? Is that the future? <laughs> and uh, my answer is, of course not. We get to do higher value things. Um, but in many respects, it's, it's a little bit like the analogy of uh, when Three Mile Island, the nuclear plant, um, almost blew up in Pennsylvania decades ago. People studied the way the operators, the humans, worked in this giant control room with these walls of gauges and indicators and nonsense and, um, and just the overload, <laughs> right? And so 
if I don't integrate the data into the workflow process, I'm just going to bury people in static information about what's going on around me. So I have to actually make this into a real decision support and a decision interaction kind of system that is based on exception reporting. And so the efficiencies with which that represents, whether you say in manufacturing uh, or you want to the utilities and energy, I mean, you can just go across the entire economy and you're talking tens of billions of dollars worth of efficiency savings that will be driven by these technologies over the decades to come. That's one. Two, because of that, you have um, all these other resource issues that we watch going on around us all the time, you know, water, air, <laughs> energy, um, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe I'm a techno optimist and people accuse me of this from time to time, but, but I do believe those efficiencies set the stage for us to move to a, um, a much more applied and, and relevant and impactful view of, of the environment, <laughs> social issues and governance, and really just how we manage all these finite resources, uh, in a wildly more efficient way as we go forward. And, and of course, um, this, you know, opens up huge um, business opportunities for all sorts of different creative people to think about different ways to serve customers because these systems, if you go back in time, these things were very monolithic, very rigid. <laughs> I built a plant to make axles for cars and I shipped to another plant that was assembling these things. And, and um, you know, it's a little bit like I can get cereal, you know, clothing and automobiles out of the same plant in the future. And so, it just opens up lots of creativity and business on top of um, the ability to be socially um, conscious of what we're doing with our resources and at the same time still make a buck at the end of the day that everybody needs to uh, to do. It is business. It is. You know? So, you know, I, I just look back and I'm going to stay in that. I'm going to stay in that world of positivity. I, I, it's been a pleasure getting your insight on these topics. I look forward to the next conversation we have. And I just thank you so much, Glenn, for joining me today. Well, I've really enjoyed it, Matt. And I, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I hope we do this again soon. Yes, sir. All right. To learn more on this topic or the research being done in other industries, visit www.harborresearch.com. And this and every other Infinite IoT episode can be found at the home of B2B, marketscale.com. We'll see you next time.